and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film, we're starting off Howard Hawks Month uh, with a classic, Bringing Up Baby, uh, starring Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing today? I am well within a dream within a dream. We're not talking about Inception, but I uh, had a strange... You ever have a dream, Cameron, where you're stuck at your old job? That no. like, <laughs> are you serious? Oh my gosh, I have these dreams all the time. And actually, shout out to our executive producer Darren because he'll probably get a kick out of this. I I worked for Starbucks for about like four years, and I just had one of those dreams where I was just trapped around that building mm. uh, with a series of confusing events where the subway next door like was converted into a secondary Starbucks that was competing with my old store. It was like this strange political tension between both the managers. I was like running back and forth trying to figure out what was happening and having awkward conversations. Like, oh yeah. Like I used to work at one of them and they're like, well, if you used to work there, I need you to talk to someone else over there to tell them this for me. I'm like, well, I don't work there anymore. I don't need it. And they're like, no, we need you to be involved. You know, this is like a super complex story and then for some reason um my friend uh angel who drums with me at the church who's blind like he needed a ride crazy that he's a blind drummer but um he he, he like kept calling me to get a ride and he was like downstairs <laughs> in the garage underneath the stores just like <laughs> i was like how did i get stuck back in this place you know like and i just so much chaos happening around me and i was like man it's just weird. It's just weird when you're stuck at work in your dreams, you know? Mm. And it, it I was it's not like I was working. I just I have no idea why. I couldn't get away from the building, you know? You really have that 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 kind of sounds like this movie, actually, <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, you seriously haven't had a dream like that, Cameron? No. Um I know that's I feel like that's pretty common. Uh, first of all, I don't really remember my dreams all that often. So oh, okay. um but I know it's pretty common to have like work, school dreams or like work dreams. Um I just can't remember if I, I can't I don't feel like I have those that often. Um there's definitely times where I have performance uh, dreams um, where you're like you you have to get up on stage and uh, and, you know, you have to join the jazz band again. But uh, you've you haven't practiced and you don't know what <laughs> what songs they're playing and oh, stuff man. like that. So um, I definitely have had those dreams. Um, and that's that's a that's pretty anxiety inducing. But no, never when I'm like stuck at some place that I used to work. I, I can't say I've had that. That's the absolute worst when you're like playing a song on stage and your mind trails off and then you realize you literally have no idea which note you're supposed to play next. And it's just <laughs> that, I mean, like music is one of those like art forms where in that very moment, the entire momentum could be killed by the fact that you are just not in sync. You know what I mean? It is I, true, I, yeah. I, I always think about that. I always think about that when I'm playing on stage. I'm like... The, it's such a fragile art form to like live mm -hmm. perform. It's just like it yep. could all be over, or so, someone's gonna notice that you could kill the moment for someone. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, it's it's like a a sick dark dream, just like this film we're talking about. So, uh, yeah, yeah. How how about you, Cameron? Are you are you doing well? Not dreaming anything weird? No, like I mean, I don't really remember my dreams, so I can't say I've been dreaming anything weird. Um, yeah, doing all right. Uh, doing good. Just kind of, you know, doing what I can and uh, 
this I'm excited to talk about this movie because uh, I'm curious to see what you uh, what you thought about it. But first, um, uh, I do want to talk about what we've been watching. You mentioned you hadn't really been watching anything, so that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, pre-recording. Uh, um, I uh, I watched Nightcrawler again for the second or third time, maybe um, third time probably. And that movie is just a, a, just so good. Um, it it really is excellent. It it has. Um, <laughs> just it's it's such a like uh, in some ways like a very mean spirited movie um and very dark uh but it is um wonderfully well made um Jake Gyllenhaal just excellent um yeah everybody in that film is is a psycho I think that was Riz Ahmed's first role as well um if I'm not mistaken but yeah have you seen that? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought that the film, even its its opening is clear, right? Like it's representing Los Angeles in a more grounded, cynical fashion, right? Yeah, yeah. Most of the times when LA is represented in, in film, it's extremely glamorous and then you go there in real life. And I just, I love the like just still images of, of LA at night at the beginning and it kind of plays plays a role as a character. The setting is a character in it. And I just, I yeah. don't know, like, I, I got to love it for that. I don't know if I'm fully convinced by some of the, because people always say, oh, Jake Gyllenhaal, he's so good in that movie, you know? I'm like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't think he's, like, bad or anything, but he's just kind of creep. I I never thought that he wasn't creepy. You know, like I was like, I just, I was like, I, I just, he's just creepy. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel any like nuance or uh, uncertainty about him. He just seemed straightforward whack throughout the whole thing. And I mean, well, what, I, guess that's I, what cool. I like about it, what, what's so very clear is that he's, um, uh, you could, you could see a person like that, um, existing in real life. Yeah. I, it's funny. I watched it with my, my roommates. Um, and we were saying he reminded us a lot of an old roommate that we used to have. Oh, and, geez. Uh, <laughs> but, but that just the mindset of like the, the sort of, um, hyper fixated on like, um, self-help and, um, you know, uh, bettering yourself and whatnot, but then completely missing sort of the human interaction element of it. Um, and the, you know, like <laughs> almost being a completely, um, just a complete like psychopath. You don't, you don't understand people. You don't know who, you know, what they, what they want or what they desire. The only thing you've, you know, is from sort of reading about human interaction and not experiencing it. And I think he does a really good job in portraying that, but it's sad. I, I mean, it's, it's like his eyes are the eyes that you see a lot when you're networking in Los Angeles. Like it's, it's painful. I don't know how to really describe it, but it's like, there's something yeah. about the way he's, it's, it's, a, it's incredibly well acted. You're right. I just, I think there's something where I'm like, I've seen it too many times. I, I just, I'm like, ugh. I uh, yeah, I know it, you know? Yeah. Um, great, great movie though. Highly recommend people watch it for sure. Yeah, well, I haven't been watching anything, and uh, only only movies for this podcast. This is Cinema Spectator. We post uh, every Monday, 
And you can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS productions. Throw a couple dollars our way, get access to a commentary track, get your questions read on air. Unlike our Patreons do, because they're, they're supposed to write in questions and they never write it in. So, you know, if you if you want that privilege of probably having your question most definitely read, you can support us there. Also, you can give us a rating on iTunes, tell friends and family. If you don't have any money, that's fine. Or if you don't want to support us because you think our show is trash, it's all good. You know, <laughs> any anything you can do that you want to help us out in that way, we get it. Uh, we listen to podcasts, too, and we're freeloaders in some cases, so... Uh, we appreciate all you guys just giving it a chance to listen and learn about some of these old movies. I have no idea who this director is, but that's the hook of the show. Cameron's just taking me through cinema. Cameron, we can get right into it. I don't. I don't know. I I think this movie is is super honestly super fun, and I'm sure you're excited to talk about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I 100% agree. It's maybe one of the funniest, um, most insane, um examples of a you know an, an older movie i mean this is um th- this is in sort of the thick of the talkie era um you know as with the last movie that we watched uh last week um but yeah this this movie so you it's funny you said you've never heard of howard hawks um and actually uh it's a, a famous quote from leonard malton is that howard hawks is the best director that nobody's ever heard of or that sorry that's not a household name um and so i think that's true um and and one of the reasons why he maybe is not a household name is because he's i would say more of a um more of a genre pusher instead of a genre creator uh, in a lot of ways. Um, he's someone who takes elements of um, of movies that have come before and improves upon their their sort of um, Im- improves upon their characteristics and takes it in a completely new direction. And I think f- why I wanted to watch um, the uh, it happened one night last week and and then move into this movie this week is because I think there's a clear delineation between what you see sort of as the budding ground of of the screwball comedy into sort of the full fledged um, experience that that this movie is um, and so so for me um, what I find well. I mean, I first of all, I I adore this movie. I think it's no, no secret. Um, I've probably gushed about it in the past, but um, one of the um, important things to note about this movie is that it was really poorly received <laughs> at the time. Um, it was it did not do very well. Um, in fact, I think it lost money. Um, at at the box office originally, and then it was re released about. Um, 10 years after and it started it started to get um, more acclaim at that point and then actually in the 50s when it started to play on TV that's sort of when it became a classic and um, this was a movie where it was a little bit outside the box for what Catherine Hepburn and what Cary Grant had done before he had his um, he had a history in vaudeville in sort of um, the sort of comedic timing and comedic style, although generally he's not considered a comedic actor at all. Um, and I think you can kind of, um, it's, it's kind of funny because in his, um, in his interaction with, with, uh, 
with Howard Hawks and his movies, he's very much playing this a similar character to this movie. Um, you know, he plays a, a character in Ball of Fire that's very similar uh, to this. Um, but uh, he's kind of he's kind of n- n- known as being a um, you know a straight shooter in a lot of ways as someone who's um, you know who's almost more of a manly man and so this role was very much a a difference for him a change for him um and then Catherine Hepburn she uh you know obviously a leading lady in in this and and so she sort of was um before this but never had done a comedy and actually had to do a lot of work to catch up um in terms of comedic timing and uh you know being being that sort of or, and then just the flow of this movie is like insane. It's it's like uh, it's at a breakneck speed, and all of the speed comes from the dialogue, um, which I think is really interesting. So, um, so I guess just a little bit of of context in terms of of where this movie came from. It was a little bit out of left field, and I don't. I think that's one of the reasons why people didn't really like it when it first came out. I mean, it screened really well, actually. Um, uh, in audience screenings before it came out and then it kind of flopped. And I think part of the reason was because of the, um, the sort of difference between, um, the, the difference between what they, uh, considered these actors to, to be doing as to what the, their performances were. And, um, yeah, so, so what I find really fascinating about this movie in comparison to, um, it happened one night is, um, that this movie, uh, you know, if, if the, if the seeds were planted in 34 with that, with it happened one night, this is where it kind of budded into something completely unique, completely different, um, and sort of a standout, um, of this is what basically the movie that people look back to, um, in terms of the screwball genre. So, um, I want to get into sort of diving into um, those elements of like what makes this the quintessential screwball, um, what makes this sort of different from most romantic comedies either of the era or since. Um, And then, yeah, and I I definitely want to get your take on it as well. But um, yeah, just a little um, context before we get into it. Yeah, no, I think the film is extremely fast. Um, there is a pretty substantial difference from the last screwball comedy that we watched last week. Just because I'm assuming most people haven't seen this film, just kind of give a, a, a quick plot overview. It follows uh, David Huxley, a paleontologist who's engaged um, and is trying to win over some cash from an investor uh, in his museum, gets wrapped up interacting with a character named Susan who is sort of a chaotic energy, a real riot. And they, they go on these long adventures as David is attempting to position himself um, to, uh, to have a good relationship with the investor. And of course, uh, Susan has some sort of relationship with that and they get into a bunch of trouble and it is uh, just kind of absurd where, where it goes to the point where, you know, baby, is a, just a straight up leopard that this this fighting couple is trying to take care of while they're bickering and and they have split um, objectives 
Right. So the the movie's very fun. There's a lot of heart in the relationship between Susan and David. Um, I I think that David's character is just so relatable and awesome because Susan is extremely irritating. And I can actually <laughs> understand why um, maybe people wouldn't like this movie. When I'm watching old movies, I'm always thinking about my grandparents and it, as if they were like watching these films either on TV or actually going to the theaters. And I don't know why I was thinking about my dad because uh, <laughs> David's character is kind of, you know, strung up and irritated by the chaotic energy of Susan and my dad. I feel like kind of embodies that in some ways. Um, <laughs> and so I was thinking about his parents, my, my, my grandparents on his side. And they're extremely serious people. They lived through the Great Depression, um, just stern. And they, they like to crack a little bit of an old person joke here and there, especially my, my grandpa Orville. He, he had a, a fun sense of humor. My grandma was extremely stoic, very, very, very serious. And, but, but overall, I would say they just had more of a serious matter. And so when I think about like, I guess, old people watching a movie like this, I could see how they would appreciate something that had the kind of comedy that happened in, it happened one night, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, where it's like a little jab here, a little jab there. It's almost like, oh, that's relatable. That's like, you know, how me and my lady talk back at home, whatever, right? Um, but this movie is just so far out there, like like literally to the point where it's unrelatable, but it's dramatized in a way that's so fun that I think the modern audience can watch it and be like, oh, like this is a, a ton of fun. Like I enjoy the absurdity. Whereas almost in the 30s, right, I could see people being like, this is so disconnected from reality that I can't even come close to relating to this film. Uh, and almost like a little bit stupid too. Like yes. it is very, it's very stupid humor. I think, I think you're right that it is like, I don't know, it's probably like 80 years behind in terms of its humor. <laughs> like it feels, it feels like a very, um, because of just the randomness and the, sl the slapstickness and sort of how fast everybody's talking. It feels like a movie that's completely out of time um, and does not, does not have anything um, like it would fit right in if it was made today, I would say. Um, it would probably be funnier and better than most <laughs> most comedies that come out nowadays because it's just so it's so fun and and um, and there actually, I think is genuine humor and chemistry between the 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 two leads. but um, I, I, I I actually want to come back to that thought. I think it would be fun to reimagine this if it was recast and remade in the 21st century. So yeah. maybe at the end of the episode, we'll, we'll go over that, but I don't, I totally get how this movie wouldn't be as big. And I was watching it pretty surprised about how fun I thought the movie was. I kept like laughing at it. I actually sent a bunch of like Snapchats to my girlfriend of it. Like just, I just started recording in middle in parts of it. And it, <laughs> it, what's, what's funny. It was completely out of context, but like, it was funny just watching a clip by itself pulled completely out of context. The scene I'm yes. thinking of is when they're dropping off the cat inside the barn uh, cage thing that, you know, they just stole the car and they're, they're putting um, the leopard in the cage. And for some reason, both David and Susan are singing 
about putting the cat in the cage for no reason <laughs> when they're trying to get it out of the car and into the cage. They're just they're singing a song about putting the cat in there. And it's there there's no reason that they should be singing. They just are, right? And well, I'm the like, reason is because the cat loves uh loves music. <laughs> right, but they're not even they're not even singing the song that he likes, right? Yeah, they're just yeah. they're just singing. And it's stupid. And I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> I like this, you know? So there were a lot of moments where I just I found myself um laughing out loud a lot in that early section where the leopard is introduced like the part where the they crash into the chickens or something like that and it yes yeah i'm like what the heck so is funny. happening right now you know um <laughs> but and yeah. i think i i i think what's what's interesting about this movie um is it's very so i do, i want to talk a little bit about hawks's quote-unquote style because i think he he's very understated with what he does um in turn like you know you don't you if you watch this, you wouldn't necessarily know that it was a, a Hawks movie versus a Sturgis movie versus a Wilder movie versus, you know, I mean, you could probably tell it wasn't, it wasn't a Wilder movie, but, um, but you know what I mean? Like this is in, in a realm where, um, it could be a lot of different people, but what I, what I like about Hawks and what I think is so interesting about his movies is that he, he's kind of, um, it, he's of the mindset that that really what needs to work in terms of a narrative, especially a narrative like this, is is the individual scenes. Um, and the the scenes, if they if they work really well, then they're, they'll sort of tra- transcend. And I actually think that that's something that I don't necessarily believe in. Um, but in this movie, I, I I think it's a perfect example of that, um, where all of the scenes are kind of strung together as little gags or little moments. Um, you know, it actually reminds me a lot of um, of uh, um, Playtime. Uh, by Jacques Tati, um, if you if you remember that movie in a, yeah, in a different yeah. way, it's not that obviously that movie's a little less um, <laughs> fast moving, but um, but but that movie has very a very similar structure in that it's just it's just scenes that are kind of strung together, and the the scene is centered around a, a particular gag. So uh, you know, in this movie, it, it it'll be um, you know them meeting on the golf course um and then them meeting at the restaurant um and you know and the gag is around them sort of like uh causing each other <laughs> lots of distress and you know and she he rips or she rips his uh his uh his jacket and she rips her her uh um, her dress and whatnot, and you know, so like the gag is sort of uh, centered in this area, and then it moves on, um, sort of transitionally to another another little moment like that, um, and I think in a comedy it really does it really does work well. I think this is a a great example of one where it's like it's all it's all gags that make the scene um really memorable and really fun um and the plot it is just ridiculous it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> like this movie as has the most absurd ridiculous plot you've ever heard and i think if you read it you would be like this is this is the stupidest <laughs> stupidest movie um but when it's strung together in a in a sequence of gags that are that are really funny um it it works so well yeah, I think that David's kind of experience with the audience is just so ex- it's just it's just super engaging, you know. I I love I absolutely lost it 
it, where there's this scene where he like comes out of the shower and he's wearing that like weird Negligee. yeah <laughs> thing and the dog comes in and just will not shut up and he like hisses at the dog he just absolutely loses it at the dog and i was like dude i have never related to somebody on screen more yeah. that, that stupid fluffy dog won't shut up when you're in someone's house you know and it's just it's such a small moment but it's so good um well and and what's funny about david is he's obviously um like part of his characteristic for some reason is that animals are just like uniquely attracted to him, <laughs> like in a way that no other character has the same, has the same like, uh, magnetism towards, towards yes, animals, yes. but everything, every animal wants to follow David. And even, even, you know, the chicken truck, uh, she has nothing on her and he's just like covered in, <laughs> in chicken feathers. Um, which is is just hilarious. And there's so many fun little remarks. I mean, after that chicken scene, right, he talks about how he didn't think, like, goose and chicken should be worth, like, $140 or something. He's like, it didn't seem that valuable to me, you know? <laughs> and, and, like, there's just so... There's so many good remarks from the beginning where... Um, he's like, well, you see my ball has a circle on it. And she's like, well, it would, it wouldn't roll if it wasn't a square, <laughs> yeah. you know? And like, there's just so like lightning fast, um, comedy that keeps someone like me who, you know, usually struggles to sit through black and white films, pretty, pretty entertained when it's like really just balls to the wall moving. If it's not the dialogue keeping you, it's usually the slapstick and, or the absurd situation. So it's, it's. A pretty impressive film to watch. And as a matter of fact, it's one of those ones that I was like, I feel like I could show this to a lot of people, which is probably telling you where I'm going with the rating. And I was sending those Snapchat clips uh, to Jules, my girlfriend, and she was like, man, I wish I could be watching that with you. Mm. Um, she's a huge Taylor Swift fan. This is a total random side tangent. But I was like, this is like, if you know anything about Taylor Swift, she's writing with someone named Jack Antonoff, who is a songwriter who... He, he he does like a band called Bleachers. He writes a bunch of the modern pop. And there's a bunch of jokes on the internet about how uh, Taylor Swift is holding Jack Antonoff hostage in a basement <laughs> to make him continue to write her albums because he's written the last two, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, I imagine this is exactly what... Uh, this is just an actual documentary about Jack Antonoff and Taylor <laughs> Swift. Like this is, I is exact. And he kind of looks like him in the movie too, which is yeah. super funny. Um, and then, you know, Taylor Swift's obsessed with cats and all that. So, um, I was sending that to George and she was like, I want to watch that movie. She loves, she loves. And the fact that it's so old that, you know, the, the cat's real too. It is real. Um, yeah. I, well, one of the things about it, that's, that's kind of a, um, it's like a, you know, a classic sort of tale in, in regards to this movie, but um, uh, Cary Grant was not very fond of the cat, um, and Catherine Hepburn loved the cat and was very good at um, uh, at sort of being a, a handler, you know, in a, in a certain way. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the scenes were um, some trickery, uh, some interesting things that I think. If you know what to look for, you can see it. Um, there's definitely sequences where um, it's very clear that the cat is being projected um, <laughs> on like rear screen using rear screen projection. Um, mm, yeah. And there's there's some times where you can definitely tell. Um, of course, uh, 
most of the time when they're interacting, um, uh, you know, it's it's in like two cuts. So like she'll be pulling the rope and the you know, the cat, obviously the cat is being uh, with an animal handler. But, um, you know, and it's kind of not connected. But there's a there's a handful of moments where, um, it, you know, the the cat is just like, is, well, I don't know. Did we say it's a leopard? It's not a cat. Yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. actual leopard. So, um, the, the the leopard is is like like purring and like on Catherine Hepburn and like there's definitely there's definitely sequences like that where you're like, wow, that's that's some that takes some uh, um, some serious guts to do that and continue acting. Um, and the, not to the, not to interrupt the, you, Cameron. I I just heard you mention that David's acted by who? Did you say? Because I'm looking Gary Cooper. Because on IMDb it says Cary Grant. Oh, is that right? Did I say Gary Cooper? Yeah, you've been saying Gary Cooper the whole time. Oh, I'm like, gosh. is that right or wrong? I'm confused now. It's, I don't know if I should trust IMDb. No, it's it's wrong. Uh, yeah, it is Cary Grant. Oh my okay, gosh, Cary why Grant. did I say yeah. Gary Cooper? No, no, no it's all. Go- I just want to I just want to correct it for the rest of the episode. If so, you know, Juzo's screaming at the top of his. I lungs. know he he is. He I know? think he just reminds me of Gary Cooper. I don't know why. Um, in any case, yes, it is not Gary Cooper. It's uh, it's it's Cary Grant. Sorry, yeah. Did I write I, it to- down wrong? In my, I totally derailed you about the conversation around the cat. It is super impressive, though. That uh, some of the scenes, like you can totally see that that cat is just let loose. And like when they're when the when the leopard is fighting the dog, I'm like, oh my goodness, this could <laughs> yeah. end any second. <laughs> George could get his head ripped off at any moment know, in this filming. They're just holding the camera like, let's, I mean, we got a couple few other dogs behind us, so let's see what happens, you know? But just um, cr- crazy, crazy, because it's that old and, you know, they're just, they're doing that stuff live with the leopard. Yikes. Yeah, and there's there's another famous story about Catherine Hepburn, um, uh, where she was actually almost attacked by the leopard um, <laughs> at one point because she was wearing some sort of like frilly, it was like metallic, to, uh, like something on her dress. Um, and she turned around really fast and, you know, it's a leopard. So it's <laughs> it, it, it thought that there was something moving away from it. And so it tried to swipe. And then um, luckily there was an animal handler who, oh, uh, who caught it. But um, they, after that, they did not let it roam free around the set, which they had been doing. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's understandable, right? I, I just watched the Friends reunion um, because Jules is a big Friends fan, despite some of the hate about Friends. Those people that hate Friends, they didn't even watch it. So, um, yeah, we watched the Friends reunion, and the actor for Ross, what's that guy's name? Um, I never watched Friends. He was in O.J. Simpson versus the People. Did you watch that? Nope. I didn't watch that either. All right. Well, the guy that plays Ross, like they, they have a monkey on Friends, and he talked about how much he hated that monkey on set, um, which is just so funny to me because like it's he's always defending the monkey in the show. Like he's like, oh, I love this monkey, you know. And then he talked about just how much he hated it, uh, <laughs> like behind the scenes. He said that like. Um, the, the the animal handler would like leave the monkey on his shoulder and give him like 
live grubs. So the monkey would be like eating the live grubs on him in the middle of filming, yeah. like during breaks. And he was just <laughs> like, I hate this thing. Yeah. So it's just, it's funny to hear these stories about like real live animals and actors. I mean, it's, it, I'm sure it's scary with the, with some of these, like when they use bears and stuff, you ever think about maybe the, the fear of some of those like childlike movies, like Beethoven, they get all these exotic animals to show up or something. <laughs> yeah. Those underpaid actors are like terrified for their life while the handler's like, oh, it's perfectly safe, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, luckily the, uh, there was that one, um, <laughs> there was that one movie called Roar, I think. Um, that was like, it was like, uh, like 300 lions or something. And the oh guy who directed it, he was like a crazy person. Um, and he, uh, he was, he like owned a lion reservation. Um, and that's, that's like, what oh. I, it, 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 like apparently like so many people got injured on set. Like <laughs> it was, um, yeah. So that's not good at all. It's but, like that tiger King stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, but it was oh, like a, supposed to be a fictional movie, but <laughs> Um, there's no fiction there when they're running at you right? i know right um yeah in any case uh getting back to this movie um one of the things that i do want to talk about just specifically in terms of what this movie sort of the precedent that this movie made is um i i think it it's really interesting to look at this movie in terms of the gender roles between the two characters because that's one of the very important things about screwball comedy is that there's sort of either an inversion or um, some sort of a um, a play on on sort of the masculine and feminine gender gender roles um, and in this movie I think it's very clear what what sort of the inversion is um, is you know obviously she's she's not just um, <laughs> she's not, she's not even trying to be the seductress necessarily she's like almost predatory towards him <laughs> she like she ruins his life um but that's kind of that's half of where the where the comedy comes from and then in terms of um of of Cary Grant's character he is um in in some ways he's very weak um and very uh um it takes about halfway through the movie for him to to almost like stand up for himself in a way um and so uh, that that's that's sort of another one of these inversions and especially with you know with with him as an actor but um you know one of the one of these sort of inversions is um the the leading man being sort of the the one who gets dragged around and the one who gets um uh taken on uh, taken for a ride essentially um and what I find so interesting about, um, well, first, I mean, there's so much innuendo with with this movie, just like an insane amount of innuendo, um, which I I'm personally surprised that this movie got like passed through the through the censors because it's <laughs> it's pretty like um, I there's a lot of like blatant stuff like bone like calling him Mr. Bone <laughs> and like, and you know, he's, lo he's obviously looking after, he's trying to, to find his bone the whole time. Um, <laughs> um, obviously the leopard, um, means a certain, uh, thing. Uh, I, <laughs> you can, you can guess. Um, but, but like there's, there's a lot, there's lots of like meta innuendo, um, through the, through the situation. 
um, and just situational innu- innuendo. Um, and then at the same time, there's there's plenty of innuendo with what they're saying as well. Um, it's pretty quick, so you you know you kind of miss it most of the time. But um, but there's there's a lot of um, plays on um, you know just just certain certain things you get like you get the feeling that there's some double entendre going on um but oh, most definitely yeah but um yeah what, what do you think about sort of the um the i mean maybe even just like edginess of some of the the humor or some of the um the jokes i think it works really well and is very charming in this um scenario especially just based on how absurd everything is um well, yeah, I found I found the structure of, you know, the the screwball comedy or the romantic comedy to be like sp- super modern, honestly. And I didn't think it was disrespectful in any way. Um, I, I like what you said about it being predatory, but it's also like David as a character is pretty dumb and can't speak up for himself. Right. Yes. And then Susan is just a riot, man. Like, I, it's like you know people like that, yeah. where they're just completely lost in their flaws in some ways, um, and it's almost by like happenstance that they have collided and created this hurricane around each other, right? Yeah. Um, and that that comes to fruition at the end of the film where everyone's locked up in jail, right? <laughs> it's just just it just so stupid. That that's where I think that gag got a little too far played out where they're just putting everyone in jail and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, you know, like this this um the the police guy or whatever his name is. They're not constable. called police. Constable. constable. Yeah, what a what an old term. Defund the constable, you know what I mean? <laughs> Like that guy sucks. I think they I think they still use constable in uh in the UK. <laughs> I don't even what is that? Like police chief? No, it's just an officer. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, cuz I watch Hot Fuzz. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's right. They have constables <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Um So anyways, uh the dynamic between David and Susan it's it's super endearing cuz it's not completely unrealistic i would say despite the 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 unrealism or how how crazy the rest of the movie is around them um a lot of the dialogue is sarcastic remarks on their flaws and their their tension and you never really get an idea that they they love each other no i I don't know like they just they're at the end they're like i love you and i love you i'm like really like do you guys hate each other like yeah but that's kind of the that's the joke at the end is that like obviously they're they're not in love but like that's what you do at the end of a of a a romantic comedy like this you know so like that that's the sort of further inversion of the of the of the genre where it's like it's like of course they don't love each other she just ruined his life and all and like his last like four years of of work you know like and then and then he's like yes i love you you know and it's like it's just ridiculous um because it's very not true and and one of the things that hawk said um i i I hope that this is an actual quote because it sounds a little bit apocryphal but um one of the things he said about sort of uh, this movie was that he called it a screwball comedy because there's no one who is normal um in the movie there's no sane person in the movie um and like i said i I i'm not sure if that's apocryphal or not but um I 
I think that's true. And, and that's kind of one of the other elements of why it works really well and why it's sort of, um, it, it, why it, um, almost like subverts your expectations of what, what a romantic comedy would be. Um, even nowadays, uh, which is, which is pretty interesting. Like a movie from 38 is like totally defying, you know, what this genre is supposed to be. I, I find that to be pretty fascinating, but. Well, the reason I brought up friends earlier and actually mentioned Ross is because he is a paleontologist (laughs) who also has a horrible knack of to, to, to kind of be like a doofus, throughout the friend show even though he's supposed to be really smart right and i think that's a lot of uh david's character design and i f- i kind of found that i like maybe it was because i just watched that sort of behind the scenes thing about friends but i see a lot of ross's character design in this early film mm. that like through david to the point where they're both paleontologists right yeah. um so i just i i don't know if it's a a direct poll, but um, I think that David's David's like demeanor is familiar in a way that had me thinking like, why, what are the characters that are like this that people love today? You know? Yeah. And so, I mean, that's why I thought of Ross, which he's a little bit different, but there, I feel like there's a lot of sitcom characters that are in this vein um you know cameron i know that you love uh uh, arrested development and i can't exactly think of someone like um david's character in that or or i probably buster yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah buster is fairly similar um a little little different definitely but you could see a little inspiration i think you're right though that there's um I don't know if it's necessarily directly an inspiration of this movie or maybe just this genre in general, but there's a lot of, um, there, there, there is an archetypal sort of male character that's like bumbling, um, uh, very confused and like wistful, um, but, uh, is somehow, um, successful and at the same time, you know, um, yeah, and and it, and they're usually like a kind soul as well, yes, in some yes. in some way, right? Yeah, um, but but a lot of times it's more like they, um, they're, um, not in control of what's going on, essentially, and the 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 funniness is or, or the humor is about sort of them getting into into these situations. Um, obviously, there's the inspiration for um for some like it hot with the character remember um when he's yeah. dressing up to uh to be or to um to go after Marilyn Monroe's character um he puts on the hat and the glasses and he pretends to be a what does he pretend to be oh shell oil <laughs> you know yes, but that's yes. that's from this uh, or that's inspired by um this type of character um, totally and totally by by that. Cary Grant specifically yeah. Yeah, I just found his um like this is like the earliest representation of of I guess a male character that is in that sort of vein, you know. I I just yeah, couldn't Well, uh, well, I will say um of course, some of this just personality-wise was taken from the Tramp, um Charlie Chaplin's character. 
Um, Got it. Which which we saw a little bit of, but not not quite as much. Um, you know, you see it a little bit in in uh, um, the Great Dictator, although that's mm-hmm. obviously a later example. But um, the Tramp, his classic character, is sort of bumbling, um, wistful, and gets himself into into s- situations that are um, confusing. Uh, and and there's that element of slapstick too, right? Because David yes. keeps falling over or getting his clothes ripped and whatnot, and you can see that. Um, wow, I mean, I guess like Charlie Chaplin has that. Yeah, that's the perfect actually example of that caricature, I guess. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I guess, Yeah, this is just in, involved with with uh, snappy dialogue as well, like sarcastic snappy mm-hmm. dialogue, which sort of transcends that to a to a modern vision yeah um yeah i don't know i mean i i don't i don't know that i have too much more to say other than it is um uh obviously a movie that i that i really really enjoy and and i think there's different layers to the analysis of the movie too um you could go into uh, of course, it's just a fun movie in its on its face, but you could go into sort of the um, the, the aspect of of you know what what the the feminine characteristic and what the masculine characteristic sort of represent in the gender role and what it sort of um, means for these for these characters. Um, like I said, I mentioned the leopard as obviously being a very symbolic meaning in in several ways um of course because it's a cat as well as it being sort of um well then there's there's also the fact that there's two leopards right um it's the the um tamed and you know more uh uh what do they call it it it's just a tame leopard um and then there's the the actual predator in in that way um and i think i think there's some some type of representation that you could take for for Catherine Hepburn's character or just her her archetype of their half of her is very innocent and tame and um you know sort of endearing in a lot of ways and wants to be um wants to be around um David and then the other half of her character is is completely predatory and completely destroying his life. Um, and yeah, and, and that's an interesting parallel between the the sort of um, the two leopard scenario. Um, but but overall, you don't even have to go that that sort of analytical about the movie. It's just fun. <laughs> Like it's just, it's as deep as as it goes, and I think it is a, a fairly, uh, a fairly deep satire. I would say, um, it's just a, it's just a like a, a raucous movie. It's just so fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's not too long, right? Hour forty five or something like that doesn't overstay its welcome. It's worth one watch, and I feel like it's super easy to recommend to most people you know i i don't know cameron as far as going into rating for me it's like this movie's for everyone I, yeah i have no problem showing this to to anyone at all I, I i find it impressive from a modern viewer's perspective how engaging the movie is and how it has kind of moved through time in a way that 
I don't know, like the the sarcasm and speed is just super. It's relevant. It's still relevant, you know. Yeah. Um. Even though no one's no one's heard of this film, I find I I actually think that this movie is like one that I want to watch on a date night. I feel like it's it's um a great choice for that. So my ratings for everyone, Cameron. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I agree. I completely. I would say this is a movie that um maybe is just like required viewing in some ways and a movie that nobody really has heard of and nobody knows. Um, but it's one that like, I, I, I would put that up, I'll put it up there with movies like um, that are accessible, sort of like, um, like 12 Angry Men is a good example of a movie that is, in, you know, easily accessible and easily watchable. Um, the Great Dictator is an example um, and then this one I think is, is, is a perfect example as well as, um, you know, maybe like the apartment or something. I don't know. Um, j- just, this is like, this would be in my bag of tricks if I was like, oh, you don't like black and white movies. Here you go. Like this, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you should say that. You know what I mean? So it also feels super like, <sighs> I don't I don't know how to put this cuz I don't I don't know if I'll be thinking about this movie a lot. It doesn't feel like a burden. It is just sort of like take it, have fun with it and walk away and I can appreciate that. I feel like a lot of movies that we've watched require some chewing in order for it to satiate in a way. And this movie is like just just love it, you know? Just love it. That's all you really need to worry about. And I like that about it. I, I really appreciate that. There's a lot of old movies, as particularly like dramas, where you're separated because of the modern lens and your brain has to switch a little bit to a different mode. Even if the dialogue is modernized and it's it stood the test of time, like you still need to... Um, you, you can't get away with being a lazy film viewer. You have to give it some context yeah, this movie is surprising. Where it's like, I besides the black and white color and maybe the aged look, like you really don't need to babysit it. It will, it will just take you and 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 it will be done, and you'll like it. You know, like I just, it's and, surprising. And what's funny about it too is, um, it it grips you kind of from, um, maybe the second scene at, at onward, basically from from when Catherine Hepburn is introduced. Um, yeah. Uh, just like basically till the end, like it does not let go uh, <laughs> of of your attention, um, and doesn't really give you a chance to um, to catch your breath either, which is which I think is is really um, very interesting. Yeah, no, totally. I want to do this exercise with you, Cameron, where we recast it and remake it because that's all studios can do today. Anyways, so, bringing up baby 2022, we're I releasing will, this movie. I will <laughs> say, um, there is a mild remake of this already. Oh, no, no. Um, and it happened in the 70s. It was called What's Up Doc. It's not really a true remake of it, but um, very much inspired by uh, inspired by the zaniness, inspired by the um, fast talking lead um, starring Barbara Streisand as the female character. Um, and yeah, for, I, I really enjoyed what's up doc, but, um, I just wanted to put it out there that it's not a, it, it, 
it would if we remade it, you know, fifty years ago, that would be what's up, Doc. So cool. All right. I want to do the exercise. Also, this, this movie should not be confused with uh, Baby's Day Off, which is what I thought it was. <laughs> and I was extremely terrified. I was like, why can I not remember what this movie's uh, called? And all I could remember is Baby's Day Off. And I looked that movie up and I was like, yeah, I really don't think this is what Cameron wants me to watch. No. Um, it's That movie looks kind of terrifying. I'm pretty sure like Donkey on YouTube has a video about Baby's Day Off. Or someone does. Uh there, there's enough commentary about Baby's Day Off. We don't need to talk about that one. Um, yeah. So who who are you casting, Cameron, in the in the uh, 2021 lens to you play know, Susan? Who's who's got that frenetic energy that will just kind of take people away in some in some manner? So I, I oh man, this is <laughs> this is kind of hard um, because my my actually my first. Um, thought was Melissa McCarthy. Um, I know, very odd choice. Um, but I think energy-wise, she has kind of a good, um, a good realm of things. But I don't know. What are what are your what are your thoughts on this? Um, because I don't know if I I don't know if I actually have a good <laughs> cast for this. Who uh, who's the chick that played in Easy A? Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Emma Stone. I feel like Emma Stone could kill it. I know that's kind of a a different, like, because she plays sometimes some pretty sympathetic characters, but, you know, her in The Help when she gets sassy has, like, a lot of energy. I feel like she could, she has a bright happiness um, that would kind of fall to Susan's, like, likable side, but she could also be predatory. Maybe she's not aggressive enough. That would be only the only thing that... Yeah. Um, would sway me from, but I could see her playing it. Yeah. Um, it could be, could be interesting. Um, I, I would think, I would also think about maybe an actress who hasn't done anything comedic before. Um, and, and sort of in the same way that Catherine Hepburn didn't, uh, do anything comedic and then sort of transitioning her to, to a more comedic, um, uh, role in this way um i don't know i think maybe like charlize theron um i could see i think she has she's a good enough actor that she could probably do this hmm. um and i think i th- I, I maybe that would be my go-to actually because I, I now that i'm thinking about it that would be pretty awesome um and then as for the the cary grant role um who are you thinking uh, I don't know, because I'm trying to think of someone that's masculine, right? Because that's where Cary Grant comes from, right? He was kind of a heartthrob, and then he switched to sort of a bumbling idiot in this. So it'd be interesting if we could think of an actor that could sort of kind of surprise people in a way, where you, yeah. you would think that it would be kind of a hot, romantic comedy but instead he's just a total dork what about and i'm not like, talking i'm not talking about like chris hemsworth in like ghostbusters 2016 don't don't no 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 none of that <laughs> no no no. what know? about what about like um uh what what about like zach efron mm, let me think zach efron well first of all have you seen his new plastic surgery no Oh my goodness! <laughs> Talk about someone that that didn't need 
plastic surgery. All right. Like he absolutely did not need like somebody showed me that picture and I was just horrified. Look that up, Cameron. You're literally going <laughs> to you're going to drop dead, dude. I it's there's no reason that he needed plastic surgery at all. And now he just looks like a stretch pancake. Um, oh. But, oh. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe two Is years ago. real, though? Because it look. It, well, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's not real. But I just, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, like, what if we took, like, a, an extremely serious actor, like, uh, maybe, like, Joseph Levitt Gordon. Go- maybe that Joseph would be. Gordon Levitt. Oh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that would be sort of an interesting. He has, like, d- but he has done like the romantic comedy thing, and in in those movies, he's he's sort of the shy, quiet male. Um, hmm. So I'd be afraid he'd be because like, he needs he he can't be just shy and quiet. He has to also be like exasperated. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the character trait of of this character. Maybe there's like a. Um... This is because I'm just trying to think of like big like star people, but I guess like Robert Downey Jr. is too old now. But imagine if Robert Downey Jr. played someone because he has like an energy that doesn't act. It's almost like he just is him. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when he plays a character on screen, although I have not seen Zodiac, which I hear he's good in. I haven't. I don't know. I don't know if he plays just he, Robert Downey Jr. again. No, he is. He is great in Zodiac. Yeah. Um. But. Someone like that who's like he you have a conception of who he is, you know, mm-hmm. but then he comes out and is just super shy and weird. Someone that's a big personality, but I don't know. That could be a good one. I would do a, a Robert Downey Jr. Charlize there and bringing up baby for sure. <laughs> I could see. OK, it. yeah, we could see it happen. Maybe we're a little too late on it. Maybe gotta, like 10 years ago. It would just it would this oh, was geez. like post post Iron Man Robert Downey Jr. Um yeah, I think so. Imagine if Hollywood actually got out and they're like, okay, uh, Daisy Ridley is uh, the lead and then Tom Holland. There we go. They're done. Oh, that's, <laughs> that that actually is what it would be. <laughs> you know, you know that's what it would be, right? Oh, that ju- that's it's so just, bad. Uh that's not weren't not, they in weren't they in some movie together that was horrible recently? I don't know. I heard they were in some movie. Or together. or Timothy Chalamet. It's going to be Til- Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, you got to think of uh, someone who's who's the who's the kid that's playing in um the new uh Dune movie. Isn't that's like Timothy some... Chalamet. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I couldn't picture his I couldn't link the name with the face, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, who are like the go-to like this is the 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 kid star that's kind of Zendaya. He's just going to work. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Just I think, do a, like, honestly, I think Zendaya might might work. Um, de- definitely better than Daisy Ridley, but oh um, sure, sure, could could work. Um, she, I could imagine she has like energy in that way. Um, I still want Charlize Theron though. Yeah, yeah. That would be that would be uh an interesting version. Oh, how how like what's what's some of the gags that you would modernize? Because there's a lot of Grand Theft Auto in this movie. There's so um, much stealing cars. <laughs> it's just it's, uh, it's insane. It's insane. So it'd be like stealing Teslas or something like that. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, you know, the idea of a leopard coming in from a fair or something like 
I don't know if that really works nowadays. I think you might have to like do like a zoo, uh, you know, on the news, you see like a zoo breakout, you know, you're, you're like hearing just, or like, it's, it's like, it's like totally like subtly placed, um, where like, um, uh, you know, the newscaster says like, um, 12 animals escaped from the zoo, um, <laughs> you know, this Thursday or whatever, and, uh, people are still trying to, to track them down. Um, you know, call your local animal control or whatever. And then I could imagine like, instead of stealing, um, you know, instead of stealing the cars, maybe they like hijack a, a um, like an animal control vehicle or something and they get they have like the trank gun and the you know the net and whatnot they're looking around um there's so many jokes that like are just fun and sweet in this in this movie that would be absolutely just abused in the modern hollywood landscape i mean like the tearing of the clothes scene would just yeah. be like a an excuse to show muscles and butt you know yeah <laughs> it would definitely just be like just actually super cringe you know they're like okay <laughs> we gotta get tom holland to have his entire flexing lats like as we <laughs> rip the coat you know or something dumb like that so uh yeah i i'm trying to think of another one that would be man <laughs> just, i my my only worry about this the idea of this movie being remade is well first of all it's perfect anyway so you don't need to remake it but um yeah, yeah, yeah. Se- second of all it would definitely it's the same thing with the with like the Billy Wilder movies where they're in their time they were like pushing the envelope but you know they're they're kind of like um innuendo and there's a lot of um there, there's a lot of cleverness in the in that kind of humor, um, and if it was just remade, it would to- the, like, all the cleverness would go out the window. There would be, <laughs> and it would not, you know, like the they would take all the jokes and they would make it um, just like dumb and bombastic, and there would be no there would be no innuendo. Um, it would just be uh, <laughs> full fledged, you know. <laughs> They would turn the guy at the table who would talk about hunting animals into like some crypto miner or like, like, you know, he would be like, maybe like a gamer who was like, oh yeah, I know everything about hunting animals because I play video games or something like that. It would just, uh, yeah, just leave it as it is. But it was a fun experiment nonetheless. Cameron, we recommend this one. It's great. Watch it. It it stands up. Uh, Any closing thoughts or anything you want to talk about this movie before we wrap it up? No, um, other than it is... um it is wonderful. I'm sorry to Cary Grant that I called him Gary Cooper at the beginning. Shh, shh. I didn't. I'm gonna edit myself out. Ha <laughs> um, Yeah. No. I I really love this movie. Um, I genuinely think it is. Um, it's one of those like standout pictures that you could show anybody and be like, huh? So I heard you don't like old movies. Well, I've got one to show you, you know? So that's Cameron speaking to himself in his room, probably like every day, like, uh, like in taxi driver. I'm looking at the mirror. Yep. (laughs) Trying to convince people that black and white movies are still good. Just by yourself. You say a name. I I convinced you. You know, it wouldn't. Uh, the only reason I corrected you on the Cary Cooper thing, whoever you were talking about, <laughs> I have no idea. I was like, I just saw it on the thing. I was like, you know what? Honestly, nobody's gonna care. Like nobody even knows who you're talking about. Cameron, Jesus so. is gonna care. <laughs> <laughs> 
I care. I don't want to get names wrong. It's yeah, that sucks. Yeah, you're the expert. You want to give get, expert. Get it together. You want you want to give them the proper um the the proper uh credit for what they do. Now you can talk movies with your grandma. There you go. I I I'm sure she saw this movie. Maybe. All right. Well, uh, we post every Monday. Apologies to those of you who listen. I was late on the Memorial Day thing. I just figured, you know, it's a holiday. So I was going to chill and edit it later than stress about it. Um, but we do post every Monday. This will be live. Continue on the journey with us through Hawks Month, right? Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Do you want to tell people what we're watching next so they can watch it with us? Yes. Um I was going back and forth because um, I like I don't want to do all um, screwball comedies, but I do want to do at least one more. Um, so I, I was going back and forth between a movie that I really love that is um, a little bit controversial in terms of its critical reception called uh, uh, Ball of Fire and another movie called um, uh, His Girl Friday, which is considered Hawks's best movie. Um, but I think in the spirit of doing Hawks month, we should do, um, his girl Friday. It's free on Amazon prime, easy to easy to obtain. So, um, we're going to do that next. Cool. And if you want to watch, uh, bringing a baby, it's on HBO max. I don't know if it's on anything else. I'm sure you can rent it, but it's great there. So you can watch it. If you have a subscription, that wraps it up. Cameron, thanks for being here. Thanks for dealing with all... We had so many technical issues this episode that you, you guys will never know about. Uh, so much editing to do, I can't wait. But we will see you guys next Monday. Thanks for the support. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast executive produced by Darren O'Neill. If you want your name read in the credits of the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash Productions to achieve this status. Thank you, Darren, for the support. And for the rest of you, we appreciate your support as well. Have a good one.